Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 173 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It has been pretty busy and hectic over here. My training season has started. Uh, My daughter and granddaughter are in town, so I'm going to be dropping a lot of my work, which frankly is hard for me to do. Um, We've been shipping the hard truth out to retailers both around the U.S. and abroad, including Baffle Days and Axis Coaching in Australia, who have both ordered copies to sell. Um, And we're working on a distributor in the U.K. If you happen to be a distributor in Europe or in the U.S. and you're interested in carrying the book, there's a link in your show notes in your pocket supercomputer. All right, no more dallying. Today's conversation was recorded two years ago in the early morning following a So Ill showdown. And it never really felt like the right time to put it out until now. And when I listened back to it, it felt extremely appropriate to put out now. Um, Today's guest is Devin Dabney, a coach at Nike's Rock Gym in Portland, a setter at Planet Granite. Uh, He's also one of my favorite rappers and someone I've collaborated with several times over the years. Um, He's a senior contributor to the climbing zine. You can look for his poetry there. And I've been incredibly happy to watch his growth over the years. And the moments that he's referred to me as a mentor are some of my absolute proudest moments. Because this was recorded two years ago, and I wanted to make sure that that context wasn't misunderstood, I asked Evan to give some of his thoughts now, including what he'd like to see from us. Hey guys, this is Devin Dabney. Uh, Chris asked me to say a few words before this episode starts, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, Just because... It was recorded a couple years ago, and I grit my teeth listening to it. You know, I I was shyer back then, so I don't say things, or I I talk super low in the mic. But I hope you can appreciate what this is, in the sense that it's a conversation. It's not perfect. Um, It's messy. um, But it is authentic. And I think, especially as we talk about race and all of these other equality issues in rock climbing that people can understand that the important thing is not to have all the answers correct or focus on saying the right thing. It's more about showing up, having the intent to do something better and an openness to listen to others and learn and dialogue. You know, um, one of my fears is that talking about this stuff 
is something that I'm not qualified to do. And it's something that kept me from talking about race for a long time. I never felt like I was black enough to advocate for black people, you know. So I'm very aware of the fact that it's taken me a while to to feel confident to speak out about these things. And I've already had plenty of people that are saying like, oh, this nigga just started talking about racism just now so we can get some followers. But I hope you can see that it's a growing process and that, you know, as much as I'd like to say I was born black uh, and I had this plan to get followers for it, I it's not the case. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's that's my timeline. And, you know, you can believe me or not, but it's who I am. And my expectation and my hope for the climate community, my challenge really is as we're talking about all these issues, uh, try to just show up as you are. You know, um, it can be scary to worry about saying something right or offending someone. But really, the only way we're going to move past this and the only way we're going to become a better, more inclusive community is if we're all willing to show up as we are and we can listen to each other and create dialogue and create actual change out of it, you know, and... um I just hope that um, there that you can see that it's not about being perfect and that you don't need to be perfect to be impactful. It's just about showing up and wanting to make a change and, and having an openness to make change. So, all right, let's get into it. We're trying so hard to make something for other people and... We're trying to make it perfect, but I think that in order for it to really resonate with people, it can't be. Check, check. One, two. My name is Devin Dabney. I'm a climber. Do you, just out of curiosity, like hearing you say that, do you start with, I'm a climber? Uh huh. Or do you ever start with, I'm a black climber? No, I would never say I'm a black climber. I would always just say I'm a climber. I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad, but. I guess I just think climbing in general, I don't know, like I I would never separate race from it. Yeah. Well, I think that's really interesting because when I started climbing, which was like 120 years ago, <laughs> I... That soon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of black climbers around. Really? Yeah. And then they sort of disappeared. One of them was a, a guy who'd been climbing a long time, Mike Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I competed with a, a black kid. I can't think of his name. Uh, Julius something. But I competed with him a few times and then mm-hmm. never never saw him again. You know, so... And I didn't think of them necessarily as black climbers. Right. Um, but I know that because oftentimes you're going to be the only black dude in the room, mm-hmm. you probably get labeled as black climber. That's why I'm 
And I do. I know I do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> That's really ironic. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I think about it, even I tell people, you know, look for the black guy or like if you can't find me, <laughs> right. like I'm the only black guy in the gym. Right. But when I'm thinking about myself, I would never say that, you know. And right. I'm sure that people at the gym, I mean, people at the gym who know who I am know me more than that, obviously. But someone who doesn't know me, they would surely identify me that way. But I mean, it's an easy way to identify me because yep. I literally am probably the only black person in our gym. Except for a few months ago, we just hired someone else that was black, which is <laughs> a much bigger deal to me than it probably should be, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't blame you. So I was thinking about this whole conversation last night leaving mm -hmm. the after party. And <clears throat> first off, let me apologize if I'm clearing my throat <laughs> more than usual. I talked all day yesterday yeah. screaming into a microphone, so my voice is wrecked. But so I was thinking about this conversation on the way home last night and thinking about when I started sort of dipping my toes into hip hop. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was one of few white kids that was involved. Mm -hmm. And I sort of tried to capture this black culture and I knew it was a I knew it was black culture. Right. You know? But over the years I sort of melted into it and and it just became the culture that I was involved in. It wasn't black culture anymore. Right. Yeah. When you started climbing, did you immediately see it as a white culture sort of thing? I definitely saw it as a sport that only white people did. You know, you white people do a lot crazier sports than black people. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> there's just certain things that, I mean, like mountain biking and snowboarding right. and yeah. wingsuit jumping, like that shit's crazy. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that yeah. takes a certain kind of person. And not to say that, that black people aren't adventurous, you know, obviously there's, there's people who are adventurous. It's just that, I mean, when I started climbing, I was probably, 20 21 i was i was in college so i was i was used to being the only black person most places i went i was in the architecture school at ball state so i think there were total across all of the years there was probably no more than six seven black people in this college of almost a thousand people so i was used to being the only black person and um when it came to climbing i just you know it i didn't think of it as something that was only done by white people but you know i was <clears> used <throat> to being the only yeah it's my hard kind. not to notice it yeah you know? exactly yeah so it um you know but obviously as as i've started climbing more i've been fortunate enough to find you know all these groups and you know, another black climber here and there. And it has kind of changed the way I look at it in the sense that I don't really feel as alone as I used to. But it's also kind of weird because I've gotten used to being the only black person in the gym. So when I see another black person, I'm like, wait a minute. Well, it's like that movie. Uh, shoot, I can't remember what movie it is, but it's like a it's like a parody movie where there's 
the token black guy and he goes to a party and he sees another black guy and he's like, whoa, dude, like <laughs> this I'm my the party. black guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that in a not serious way, that's kind of how I feel when I see another black person climbing. I'm like, wait, whoa, there's, there's another, like, yeah, it's, it's really strange. That's really interesting. Another thing that I thought about when I was like, I knew I would never have called it appropriating back then, but that's yeah. sort of what I was doing with black culture. And I have all sorts of, I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast on all that conversation because <laughs> I'm aware, I'm very aware that I have white privilege. It's hard to ignore yeah. if I even halfway open my eyes, you know, mm-hmm. but back then I lived in a very, very white extremely racist neighborhood Mm -hmm. and by trying to assimilate in this black culture that i was really interested in i was like wearing africa medallions and you know had (laughs) was wearing all the popular clothes at the time like mc hammer type (laughs) pants and you know it was I was super into Kwame for a few years, yeah. so I wore polka dots nonstop, you know? Yeah, no way. So I'll have to find some photos. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that was going to be my next question. So I got all sorts of backlash from the people in the neighborhood, you know? Yeah, I could imagine. Did you... So I felt like I could relate. I probably couldn't, mm-hmm. but I felt like I could. Like in yeah. my little... 17 year old brain i could relate you know yeah but my thought my question is did you go through any phase like this evolution did you go through this evolution where you felt like you had to dress like all the rest of the climbers talk like all the rest of the climbers act like everybody Mm -hmm. else and where are you in that evolution that's a that's a really good um, question because I've been thinking a lot recently about the way, just the way that I talk, you know, and how much it's changed over the years because of who I've been around, you right. know. When, when I was growing up as a kid and a teenager, I was around mostly black people. So I talked and behaved a different way just because that was who I was around. Sure. And now that I'm around almost all white people, I find that the way that I've talked and dressed has changed and it wasn't on purpose. Like, I don't think I made a conscious effort to start. I don't know. I didn't say, okay, I think Patagonia is what I'm going to start wearing now. Like, I think <laughs> right. I'm going to, I don't know. I, I think there was just a point where my my behavior and the way I dress changed based upon what I was doing. So, you know, when you come to the gym and to climb, you can't wear like Kooji jeans, like super baggy. Right, right. You, you can't wear your J's. You can't wear a tall T. Like none of that stuff helps. And it's really funny to think about because when I first started setting, I was in those clothes still. You mm-hmm. know, I was wearing Jordans on the wall and, and I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't have anything else to, to climb in besides climbing shoes. And you don't really want to wear those. So I think just gradually over the years, you know, I've replaced thing after thing. And um, it's it's funnier when I see people that I haven't seen since I was a teenager and they tell me, yeah, wow, your voice is a lot higher pitched and you just, I don't know, like you yeah. speak way differently. And 
um, I get made fun of for it a lot. And, and and when I was in college, it was especially weird because I still had friends from my childhood who went to school with me, but most of them weren't around me all the time. So when I'd be walking, you know, on campus with my other friends and I'd see them, I would completely change yeah. the way I talked and yep. people would make fun of me for it all the time. They'd be like, what do you do? Like, why'd you do that? And I was, in my mind, I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just, right. you know, I was just talking. But Do you think it'll ever get to a point where, where you don't make those changes? Do you still? I do, but not nearly as much. And I think that that's more of an identity thing than it is a cultural thing. Because I don't think that I've, I've forgotten black culture or anything at all. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely don't think that because, you know, that's that's part of who I am. But I think as I've gotten older, I've felt less like I have to switch the way that I talk either way, you know, like I, I still I still switch some things. But I think everybody does that, you know, when you're you don't talk to your mom the same way you talk to your best friend, the same way you talk to your yep your like baby cousin or something <clears throat> like that. So uh, to a degree, I think I'll always do that. But I don't think um, it's as drastic as it used to be because it really used to be like one total switch left to way right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like coming up in that hip hop community, I saw a lot of, and I used to as well have my like rap voice. Yeah. You know, where it totally changed and I would be in some version of that voice when I Mm -hmm. was at a hip hop event or with that, you know, that group of friends. And then I'd go back to climbing and I'd be a totally different person, you know, like these two weird worlds that rarely collided until I started rapping about rock climbing and brought some of my friends to do shows with me, you know, and they were like, what the fuck is this? What's going on here? You know, it's a lot of white people. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. And you probably of all people could understand this the most that, you know, when you're rapping, you have a rap persona. Yeah, totally. It's not that it's not that you pretend to be something else or that you're not being yourself throughout the day, but when I'm in front of a microphone, I become a different person. Like I have I feel like my confidence is different, yep. the way I look at myself is different, the things I want to say are different. Yep. And people are always surprised when they they hear my music knowing who I am. And they're like, <laughs> right. like, dude, like, yep. whoa, you're way more, they never know what to say. Like, I think the most commonly said thing is aggressive. Like, yeah. You're way more aggressive than yeah. you are. And I am, <clears throat> it's true. Like in, in real life, I'm the nicest, like mo- most non-confrontational person. Yeah, but when I rap, chill. it's not like that. Yeah. And um, I, I don't exactly know why, but it's just, it's just what comes out, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, I do it with, I mean, emceeing yesterday, I don't know if you noticed mm-hmm. that between, like, the early rounds where I was barely doing any talking, just doing general announcements, and the finals round where I was going to be in front of everybody mm-hmm. trying to get the crowd hyped up, I changed hats. Yeah, yeah. That's like my... That's like me stepping into a phone booth and putting on a different, yeah, you know, putting my cape on. <laughs> Anytime I'm gonna do a show, 
of any kind, I put a hat on. Mm-hmm. Like something flat build makes me feel younger, <laughs> makes me feel different. And it it's almost like putting on this mask or this costume that I can <laughs> be somebody else in. And I, it's grown to the point where I'm comfortable in all of these different hats. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be I couldn't be in hip hop mode in front of the climbers just because it just felt weird, mm-hmm. you know, or I couldn't, if I would take my hip hop friends climbing, it would feel weird to be in climber mode yeah, in the gym that's with them, so you know, true, yeah. but anymore, I'm just comfortable in all of those circles, but it took a long time to evolve to that, mm-hmm. you know, and get really comfortable in my own skin and pull little parts of all of those things together mm-hmm. and just let everybody see them, you know? It's a it's a big evolution, and I think it's tricky, but it's fun mm-hmm. to look at and think about. And That's very true. Why the hell am I doing this? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that you're describing something that I'm still learning how to do. You know, I'm not. I don't want to say I'm not comfortable showing off all of the facets of who I am, but yeah. I definitely still have a little bit of nervousness. You know, if it, it's silly, but when I'm at the gym, if someone hears that I do music and they're like, oh, I want to find it. I Like half of me is like, oh, like, I don't know. Like that's really, it's, it's a very different side of who right. I am. I don't know how you'll, right. you'll see me if you hear this, but. Um, so for you, it's not a switch. It's more like this dial that you, yeah, yeah. you turn a little bit. And for me, it's had to become a switch. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in MC mode and somebody, you know, MC an event mode and somebody comes up and is like, I love your music. I have to turn into O-Dub, you know, (laughs) I have to, I have these switches that I have to flip. Yeah. Yeah. To become these people at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, and luckily they're all getting to be closer and closer to the same person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that just comes with experience and, um, figuring out what you want to do and what you are and the things that you're into and just trying to make your life path all go down the same, you know, all of them go down the same road, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, I'm still figuring that part out. So, you know, starting with all this talk about being a a black climber in a mostly white sport, you had mentioned to me yesterday that you were, considering some podcast ideas, you know, sort of thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Let's think out loud a little more and even louder. I mean, yeah. it's going to go to a lot of people. So let's let's talk about ideas for that thing. I think you've got a cool idea for you know, tackling topics that don't get tackled all that often. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I told you recently I've been really into listening to podcasts about climbing. You know, I, your podcast, the Training Veda, Normal Cast, like pretty much any source of information. One thing that I really think could be covered more in climbing is the social aspects of it and the the effects of climbing on us as a society, not just the climbing community, but just on, on the world. And I think... Um, some of the things that I was telling you about that I would really like to discuss are are our expectations out of climbing. You know, like w- we see 
some of the greatest climbers in the world do some of the greatest things and we uphold them <clears throat> like in the same way that you would uphold like a really great rapper like a Kendrick Lamar or something like right. we we put people like Margot Hayes and Sharma and Daniel Woods all on these really high unreachable levels where we're like we're never going to get there so we're just you know we're looking at them on top of Mount Olympus right and yet when Margot Hayes did the 15A it was probably the ratio of celebration to expectation was probably really really low where we like not I'm not saying you and I we but like just everyone was like wow that was amazing and then the next day they're like when's she gonna do a 15B what's next yeah when's like what, what's next on the yeah and there's no like can't can we <clears throat> just maybe maybe there isn't a 15B right now maybe she wants to do some I don't know 14s I say that in like a relaxed way but like Maybe she wants she, she wants to do some watercolors. Yeah, That's maybe what, she wants to paint. Maybe yeah. she wants to rap. I don't know. Like, why do we have to? Why <laughs> does get she get her have on the next to, project? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why are we already tying her in? And um, a friend of mine, John, he actually wrote an article about this very subject, and it really, it was something I've been thinking about. But he really hit the nail on the head for me, and that was what made me realize. You know, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff very much. Or even just, um, you know, the, the question that's in everyone's heads that has been climbing for a while, is climbing going to get too popular? You know, is there a point where the the sport is going to be outgrown by the people who are participating in it? And of course, that's, the, that's where you get all the people who are, you know, they're you would call them elitists where they don't want to introduce new people to climbing. They, they hate the idea of new climbers. They don't right. want any more Gumbies greasing up their holds, like all that stuff. Yep. And I'm on the side of like, it's, am I worried about climbing growing too big? Yes. Like, am I worried about our natural areas that are really well protected and clean getting trashed? Yes. But I think that, we are responsible for those people in a way. Like mm -hmm. if we don't want that to happen, we have to take up the mantle of teaching people the right way, right? Because they're gonna find it no matter what, you know? And yep. especially with the, you know, the booming popularity. Yeah, yeah. Climbing gyms in every city. Yeah, and, and once it's, <clears throat> I don't know what the Olympics means, but once that happens, yeah. that's gonna completely change it, you know? I mean, and it's already gotten a lot of popularity because of, you know, Ninja Warrior. The the best ones are always climbers. You know, Isaac Caldera, we just saw him on the wall yesterday. Yep. And Megan Martin, like all those people that they're, it's already happening, yep. you know. And, and the other reason that I don't feel like I can put a gate on climbing and stop people is because somebody showed me rock climbing. I didn't just wake up and think it was a good idea you know i thought it was a terrible idea honestly i thought it was some crazy shit that white people did but yeah. i it, it it turned out that it was really fun and that it you know it stuck with me and i i i felt more comfortable as a climber than i had ever did anything else but you know the i never would have been able to find that part of myself if someone didn't show me rock climbing mm -hmm. so and unless you're going to tell me that you just one day 
decided to be a rock climber without any outside influence, then you can't say that someone else doesn't deserve to be introduced to climbing, you know? Right, totally. Yeah, I think I see a lot of, especially older climbers, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of becoming these elitist midgets, you know, (laughs) I don't. I don't subscribe to it at mm-hmm. all. It's it's wide open as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know? And I see that climbing indoors, the gym culture is increasingly more separate from yeah. climbing outside. Absolutely. So I'm not terribly worried about it. I think more people means more conservation, more access mm-hmm. in legal ways, you know, when I get to work behind the scenes at places like the beta fund mm-hmm. where I'm, you know, I don't, I don't do anything but be the voice of their event, but I get to see the inner workings of that. I get to see a little bit of the inner workings of the access fund now and mm-hmm. then. And, and I see the amount of work that those people go through. You know, the Red River Gorge yeah. Climbers Coalition was one of the first climber coalitions anywhere to start buying property for climbers to climb on and seeing that all happen i know it would never happen if climbing stayed this little like elitist yeah you can't join the boys club yeah kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. It, it just wouldn't happen it takes people from other walks of life people from other backgrounds coming in and saying, oh, we can do this and mm-hmm. we can make this work. We can go to the government and talk to them <clears throat> instead of just trying to hide while we yeah. boulder on private property. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so I'm not afraid of the, the influx of people at all. I think there are going to be, there's going to be plenty of people. There's going to be more money mm-hmm. and the large majority of those people are going to be in the gym that's 95% of the time. Very true. That's, that's another thing is that it, I don't really think that most people who climb in a gym are going to climb outside. That's something that I've learned. You know, it, it still kind of surprises me mm-hmm. how few people that climb so regularly have no interest in going outside. You know, the, the way I was shown climbing is, Gym is the gym is preparation for outside, and that's how I've always looked at it because right. of that. So I could I don't think I could ever be a gym climber because that that would be like being a a person on a basketball team who just goes to practice. Like, why would you just go to practice? Don't you want to play the game? You know, like don't you want to do what this is supposed to prepare you for? But right. you know that I, I, I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it, but that's just how I see it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the way you came into it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just come into it as it's a climbing gym. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. You climb the yellow holds and <laughs> yeah. you get to the top and you celebrate and then you look for the blue holds. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it's, that's, I mean, it's, it's a result of the way things have changed, I guess. And, and the other thing that you said about climbing being elitist, that's another really interesting thing because, the way that I was introduced to climbing, I had no idea that historically that's the kind of sport it was. You know, the the people who showed me rock climbing <clears throat> were really friendly and open yeah, and totally. they were teachers, you know, they wanted me to be a part of the um the cool kids, which was awesome because I thought they were the coolest people ever, you know. Yeah, they yep. 
I want it to be I had be the same like experience that. coming in. Yeah, yeah. So you you probably understand even more that when I started going outside and on my own and going to all these places and I thought I thought that I was just having bad luck where I would keep running into these people like, "Oh man, that guy was a dick." I'm not saying everybody's like that obviously, but it was it was surprising to see that really a vast majority of people who are into climbing aren't really interested in like sharing it with other people or they they have a certain air about themselves that this is their thing and like they're very important and i I just wasn't i didn't expect it to be like that so now one of my greater missions in climbing is to make it more of a sport where we are willing to share knowledge with people and willing to help people so that the sport can get better and we can progress. You know? Yeah, totally. I've run into those kind of people forever, like for through my whole climbing mm-hmm. career. And I, I do think that the reason I stuck with it, maybe the reason you stuck with it is because those first people, those first mentors really cared. Yeah. You know, they really took an interest in, your experience they did yeah and i had guys like josh dees and chris eckland these mm-hmm. these guys that ran the climbing gym i went to and they were like why don't you just come in and vacuum in the mornings and you don't yeah. have to pay and i'm like i'll be here every motherfucking day <laughs> yeah you know <clears throat> and i was for a long time <laughs> and i still talk to those guys occasionally you know i i went out and saw josh not terribly long ago in Salt Lake and Mm -hmm. hung out with him for the first time in 15, 18 years, something like that. So it's cool to see that that still exists, that it happened when you came into climbing. I know it still happens. I hear a lot of people talking about that mentorship is dying out, sort of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true I think there are just a lot more climbers coming in that that there aren't there aren't mentors to go around. Yeah, you know. But again, to be fair, and particularly to climbing in general, there are many more people who are willing to be open, talk, be helpful mm-hmm. than there are assholes. Those assholes just make a bigger impression that's true which yeah. is kind of sad really it is <clears throat> and i mean you you're right in saying that there's probably just not enough mentorship to go around but that's why i even str- more strongly think that we the people who are into climbing i, I don't want to say they're responsible but I, I, w- I wish that people felt more of an obligation to help because the not having guidance when you come into climbing is not a good idea because you're gonna you're either gonna just do things not necessarily the best way or you're gonna get bad guidance (laughs) and yeah and um i think you're right in saying that i probably just only remember the people that left a bad impression on me and it i mean that that i think i remember them more for sure yeah I mean, I think that's just something that's true for... I could list all the assholes by name right now <laughs> yeah, if I wanted yeah. to. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know them all. I, I know exactly who they are. You know? <clears throat> oh, man. Yeah, I'm not good. I'm not so good with names, but faces. I, I definitely don't forget faces. And I, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's just... I mean, I could... 
go story after story. But I I wish that instead that it was story after story of, oh, man, this dude was really helpful. Like this dude gave me beta or he like, yep. I, I needed chalk and he gave me chalk. I don't know. Like I'm just trying to think of I, I just wish it were more like that. And I think that in order for that to be the case, that we would all really have to kind of take up the mantle of being more helpful and being more open and just trying to grow the community more. I think that's mostly what I'm trying to say is just yeah. fostering a, a good community around the sport. Yeah. And I, you know, I get involved in a lot of events. You know, I do a lot amongst the community. Most of it is completely self-serving to be honest. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to build my business, build my brand. So I'm trying to be out there in the community and I've made some really incredible friends that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't set out to like, I want to go make friends. Mm -hmm. I just get to meet like-minded people who are so stoked to be climbing and to be mentoring other people and to be making a difference in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, so I, so I get to see the, like the best part of the community, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this on the drive over that you having come into the sport a little while ago and as a, you know, black climber mm -hmm. air quotes, you didn't immediately take up this mantle of social change mm -hmm. and I want to, you know, tackle racism and climbing or whatever. And why now? Why are you now thinking I need to start having these conversations? Well, I I think that it's been I mean, it's it's been really evolutionary for me being in this sport at all, right? And I've I've gotten to a point where I've been in a position at my job where I've been able to help a lot of people and I've been able to <clears throat> meet people who are new climbers and um, go through some hardships with my own climbing and help people through other difficulties they have. And I've always been the kind of person that wanted to help people and I've always wanted to do something that that made a positive change on the world, you know, like that's I've never really known exactly what I wanted to do, but I've always known that whatever it was, I wanted it to be something really big and I wanted it to be something that made the world a better place. And I think that I think that I feel like with with what I do as a coach and a, a a setter and and everything where I am in a position where I can help people and and I'm seeing a lot of new climbers that now I feel more responsible to help and and do what I can to make <clears throat> make climbing a better sport for them, you know. And 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 I think that's the other thing that's kind of influenced me too is that climbing isn't a sport that is I don't feel at least it's a sport that's about the every man. It's about it's about the the gods on Mount Olympus, right? Like mm -hmm. the the Sharmas and the the Daniel Woods, the Magos, like those guys. And we don't really see the the stories about people who are normal climbers that much, you know? Like 
I want it to be, I don't want to take those people off of the mountain. I just want there to be more, I want there to be a middle ground, you know, like I want, I want more stuff that pertains to the normal climber. Yeah, totally. And, um, that, I mean, even, even when you just talk about training, you know, like, um, there's, there's an infinite number of resources for training right now there's i mean there's there's too much information honestly it's a giant cesspool right now yeah but but (laughs) and i just contribute to it every day (laughs) oh yeah you're just pouring (laughs) pouring more into it yeah so and, and that's how i'm looking at it is there's this huge everybody wants to know how to get to to v whatever or 512 or whatever right now so that's the information they're consuming but I bet you that if there was that same intensity towards social issues in climbing, that there would be an equal amount of people who are interested. Oh, totally. I think so. I agree. I mean, I have these deep conversations with people constantly. Yeah, I think we you all know, do. I crave this shit now. And and as mm-hmm. soon as a deep conversation starts, I'm like, can I shove a microphone in your face? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so... It exists. People are talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to hear where it goes, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to deeper conversations instead of just, you know, how many times a week do you hangboard and for how <laughs> yeah. long? Yeah. You know, the- <laughs> I don't, I don't really care about that shit. Even as a coach, I don't care about that shit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, I mean, even as like, like you just said, even as a coach, when I'm working with my clients, um, I, I mean, I, I do care what they do to a degree, but I think when you say that, you mean the things that are really getting you engaged are, they're about them. They're not as a person, not about as like their training regimen. Right. And I, you know, I don't, I honestly don't care at all how many times Steve Mache hangboards a week or mm-hmm. what edge he's using or how much weight he's using because it doesn't apply to me at all. Yeah, yeah. I want to know the overarching principle of why he does what he does. Exactly. You know, which this it's the same with these social conversations you're talking about. I want to know the the idea behind it, the struggle behind it, the things that you've really had to sit down and think about and that you've evolved with over time you know those are the things i'm really really interested in and i think a lot of people are as well the people who want to have deep conversations good conversations are interested in those things absolutely and i think that i mean you said it yourself we we're we're having these conversations on our own right now so why why not do it on a platform you know yep it, it, there's clearly a, a need there or a, at least a desire to hear other discussions. So I think that that needs to be created. And I think that's what I'm here for. <laughs> cool. Did you, when you were telling me about it, was that like the, one of the initial times it made its way into the world out of your head? Or is this something you've been thinking and talking quite a bit about? I think that when I was talking to you yesterday, that was my aha moment where I have been thinking about this stuff for a while, but when, you know, I was, I was asking you, like, how did you, how did you become what you are? You know, like this, this figurehead of, of training and like the podcast and like the business, because I mean, you're kind of like 
you're like the Dr. Dre of rock climbing, man. Like you, you, you know, like, and, and I want to yeah. be Eminem. So like, I'm trying to figure out how to get on Interscope. <laughs> so, I'm trying to figure out how to get on Interscope. <laughs> yeah. So just, I think when I asked you that, and I can't remember what exactly you said, but it was, it was something you said about the way you do your podcast. And it made me realize, oh, like I can do this, but about the about the social aspects like the things that i've been thinking about recently there really isn't a a a source of of um for that you know like there isn't that isn't happening right now and yeah and it's a big topic out there right now you know i try to hit those topics occasionally Mm -hmm. you know really dig into some tough conversation but but i know that's not that's not why I started the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, that was never intended. Mm-hmm. It just was what I became interested in. And I think it's important for all of us as partners, coaches, whatever. If we interact with other climbers, it's important to think about those things. So, yeah. So I dive into those conversations a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. but I would definitely listen to a podcast that is having those dedicated conversations regularly. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're dropping them every week, like mixtapes. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, we talked about this, but yeah, you climbing and hip hop are one and the same. And yeah, you gotta, you gotta, it's like running the underground, you know, you have yep. to have a new, like I just, I, I think of Lil Wayne, you know, that era where he was, it felt like, it was like four o'clock. Yeah, you you Mixed just tape got wheezy. Yeah, and then five o'clock he put out. <laughs> yeah, you know, dedication seven. <laughs> I'm like man, like you just how did you do this? Like, yeah, you, you just recorded like all these crazy lines, and then you come out with another mixtape that's just as good. Like yeah, yeah. So and it's that, because he, it's what he fucking loves to do. Like yeah. he just he just wants to keep doing it, and I'm that's how I am with this podcast. And you know, I urge you to have conversations that that you really want to have. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And, and be okay with struggling through them. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. part of why I don't script anything. Like mm-hmm. I didn't tell you a damn thing about what I wanted to talk about, you know, it, yeah. before we came over. And I know yeah. that can be nerve wracking. Oh, it was. Yeah. But for <laughs> me, it's like, I know we're about to have a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's pause that. Until I put a microphone in your face. <laughs> and then how can I start that conversation back up? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's that's my advice to you is just have those conversations you really, really want to have, whether you think it's going to be a good conversation or not. Mm-hmm. Somebody out there is going to have that aha moment mm-hmm. and be like, oh shit, this is, I relate to this, you know, or, or, that's the answer I've been looking for or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. And in, in hindsight now, I appreciate that you didn't tell me what you were going to, um, good talk about, but (laughs) I mean, Angie could tell you like we were here and that's just like, what, what I'm going to mess it up. Like, what if I mess it up? He's going to have to, we're going to have to start over. Like what is, I mean, and that's just my personality where I, I just yeah, want to yeah, get yeah. everything right, I right was, away. I was the same way when I started this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what the fuck it was going to be. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can do this. You know, yeah. If you listen back <laughs> the first 10 episodes, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this thing or not. 
<laughs> man, I need to go back. Yeah, that. I mean, I I could totally identify with that because it's it, it's it's hard. You want to have good content. You want to have things to say that people can understand first of all, and that they can relate to, and that they think is worth listening to. So. You know, I think ultimately that's what makes me the most nervous. I mean, I know I can talk, but I, I want my talking to be relevant. So, and know. I think it is just because you're thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I hope think that's least. that's the important thing. And how many times have you walked away from a conversation and been like, God, I wish that was recorded? You know, I yeah, wish I could, absolutely. Wish I could listen back to that right now. So you know, it happens times. all the time. Mm-hmm. But the minute you put a microphone in someone's face, they're like, was that conversation even any good? You know, I think it was terrible. It sucked. Yeah, that's, you know? a, that's <clears throat> I'm already thinking about that. I'm like, did I, I wish I had said that better. Like, did, did that make sense? You know, but yeah, I'm sure that if, if we weren't, recording this i wouldn't have thought twice about it i would be like man that was that was a dope ass conversation yeah totally like i i I feel a lot better yeah Yeah. and i'm sure you've seen it with your music too yeah you you spend three hours making something just right exactly how you want it Mm -hmm. you know a a three second loop on something (laughs) and yeah and then you put it out and no one notices that part at all. Oh my God. They're just, yeah. they just love this lyric that took you five seconds yeah. to write. You know, that's so true. Yeah. It, that's definitely, that's more of a thing about art. It's, you don't get better art by spending more time on it. Not to say that you shouldn't spend more time on yeah, things. Yeah. I think but, that's totally true though. Yeah. Like I, you as an artist can put so much time into something that you think people think is important but it's really easy to lose sight of what actually is important, which is, you know, the heart of what you're trying to say or yeah. just that one lyric, like you said, that catches people's ears. Yeah. And the, the, the lyrics I think are amazing are that I've written personally, like the ones I look at, I'm like, man, you did a really good job with that are not the same ones that people right. remember. I'm like, oh, people man, that one, like, yep. <laughs> I, dude, yeah, like man. I didn't even... <laughs> Yeah. That was something I wrote to fill in the space. Like I didn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting what people, what resonates with people and what doesn't. We're trying so hard to make something for other people and we're trying to make it perfect. But I think that in order for it to really resonate with people, it can't be. Yeah. You know, something that is perfect isn't going to relate to people that are not perfect nobody's perfect so we're all fucking up every day yeah so i think that 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 you and i both were trying to make something that that wasn't going to resonate with people and we didn't realize it because we're we're so concerned with making art like exactly the way we want it right you know so it's really a good ironic twist yeah yeah and i think conversations are that way just have to let them happen don't force them Mm-hmm. you know so cool man thanks for sitting down with me i appreciate it a thank lot. you thank you for making me a little nervous and then having it turn out all right <laughs> yeah my friend my friend may rat says nervous means do it that's her ah that's her phrase so okay well then we did it <laughs> yeah damn sure awesome thanks thank Devin. You. thank you you know it's it's interesting to listen back to this now as some of it seems like a conversation that maybe sadly was a little ahead of its time and 
There have been several people out there focused on these topics for for quite a long time. Uh, People like Melissa Edwards, James Edward Mills, Teresa Baker. Um, Last summer, I had lunch with James, and we chatted about an interview that we did for his Joy Trip project many, many years ago that highlighted my music, which frankly has many of its own flaws and shortcomings that I'll be discussing in future episodes about climbing media. But I had always assumed that James interviewed me because I was this oddity, this white kid rapping and about climbing. And Instead, he told me that it was because he thought it might help open a door to another culture in climbing and invite uh, different people in, uh, in this case, black people. And I don't know if that's what it did, but if I had even the, the smallest thing to do with Devin using his voice, then I'm extremely proud for that. And, and I, for one, hope that he continues to use that voice, maybe for the podcast we mentioned, but definitely through his poetry, his music, coaching, and through his setting. These types of conversations that, that Devin and I are discussing in this episode are long overdue, and the climbing podcast world shouldn't be dominated by the white voices and the white narratives of myself or Calouse or Neely or the Thundercling. Um, but but should have other perspectives as well that represent more of what the climbing world and the climbing community is becoming and has become. Um, Kathy Carlo's For the Love of Climbing podcast is a pioneer in this regard, and there are more and more of those types of podcasts popping up. Um, something I'm really happy about, and maybe we'll see Devin in there soon. But no pressure, Devin. Man, thanks again for this chat, for the phone calls this week, and hopefully I will see you soon on your way back through Wyoming. Let's collaborate on something. If you all are interested in checking out Devin's music, there are links in the show notes to his band camp, to him on Spotify, uh, including his most recent project, If You Didn't Send, It's Too Late. You'll also find links to his Instagram. His handle there is Deuces Hip Hop, D E U C E is Hip Hop. Um, so definitely check him out there. He's currently doing a takeover of Drew Mack's Instagram. So you may have seen him on there already. You know where we are powercompanyclimbing.com, Instagram, the Facebook, at powercompanyclimbing. And I don't know, maybe Devin's on Twitter, but as for us, we don't tweet, we scream like eagles.